Has your brand been struggling to reach the correct audience when advertising? We've all done it. Maximize privacy filters on our phones and apps because who wants to be talking about something for it to pop up mysteriously later? It's weird and everyone hates it. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. You know how much we love Zencaster, and their new creator network is no different. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's creator network is a perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators, like us. So stop wasting advertising dollars on ad campaigns that aren't targeting your niche audience. Let Zencaster's Creator Network match you with podcasters who can ensure that your target audience is being reached. We love Zencaster so much, and being able to see ad opportunities come across our dashboard with a percentage match to see how much our audiences line up is game-changing. It helps creators really get behind brands that mean something to them. And with a podcast show for just about anything you can think of, your brand is no exception. Are you interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai slash gruesome and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Welcome to Gruesome your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and our sweet potato pie, Connie, is going to tell us all about Joel Guy Jr. I love sweet potato pie. You know, you have made you made the best sweet potatoes I had ever had in my entire life when we had Thanksgiving. It's a souffle. It? It's, my, it's my signature specialty. It's really good, yeah. <laughs> I don't do the marshmallow topping. It's a streusel topping. It is the best best sweet potatoes you will ever have yeah they were really good i don't come from a sweet potato family like we never did sweet potatoes growing up ever really oh yeah so my exposure to sweet potatoes was pretty limited but i had yours and i was like oh these are delicious it's like a dessert i've been missing out it's a dessert i'll make them for you again sometime i feel like every case that we cover during this time of the year starts off with it was just a pleasant family get together, you know? It's just happy family times until it wasn't. This case rings true to that theme. Tonight we are going to talk about the awful, disgusting monster of a person that is Joel Guy Jr. If you are a true crime connoisseur like myself, you may have already heard of this case. You know that it's a gnarly one, and if not, I'm telling you, it is a gnarly one. Um, I'm going to give you a trigger warning for this week, and it's just be it's sheer brutality. It's if you have like a weak stomach, there's going to be a lot of details. This may not be the one for you. Oh, this guy's a menace, huh? Mm-hmm. Joel Guy Jr. was born on March 13th, 1988, which is. Pretty close to my husband's birthday. So Pisces. My husband was born on March 14th. His friends and family called him Joel Michael because he was named after his dad, Joel Guy Sr. He was, by all accounts, kind of a recluse. He stayed in his room a lot. He didn't connect with a lot of people around him. His dad had three daughters from a previous relationship, and they even said that they barely knew their half-brother. Which I want to clarify before I get tons of messages about this. Just because you are a recluse, I'm not saying that you're going to end up like this guy. It is just relevant to part like this part of the story about his personality. Actually, my middle son would rather spend his time in his room than hang out with his family. <laughs> you know, he's comfortable. If you're comfortable in your own company, that's like one of the best gifts you can give yourself. So this is not saying like everyone who is recluse is going to end up like. Joel Guy Jr. Or that you already are like him. And I say that because I feel like every week we get a message, you know? (laughs) It's like, I have this and I'm not like this. Well, we weren't talking about that. We weren't talking about you, friend. Yeah, we're talking about this, this awful person. The rest of Joel's family 
was very tight knit. They had the family group chat. They liked to spend time together. There were grandkids. So his parents loved hanging out with all of them. Joel's mom, Lisa, was the best mom slash stepmom slash wife that she could be to her family. She always made sure that the kids and grandkids were taken care of. She was the person who Joel's sisters confided in. She lived her entire life for her family. Joel's sisters um, lived with, like when they were younger, they lived with their mom. So like they would spend summers with like the dad, like it's a typical custody arrangement. And when his sisters... Shandis, Michelle, and Angela would come visit during the summer where Lisa didn't treat them any different than she treated Joel Jr. Actually, Michelle looked up to Lisa so much that her wedding set, like when she was engaged, was a replica of Lisa's wedding set. Oh, that's cute. Quick diversion, but if you are one of those step parents who just like steps up and leaves like the step part at the door, like you get kudos from me always. My husband's actually, he did that since day one with our two boys. And I don't think it's talked about enough. I had to like take a quick, quick break just because sometimes I know it's nice to hear that like, hey, you're doing a good job. And step parents who are co-parenting well with bio parents who are stepping in when bio parents are a part like in the picture. You guys are the real MVPs. Always going to get kudos from me, especially like a mom to a daughter because I'm very protective over my daughter. So I couldn't imagine having to share her with, like, another mom. And for Lisa to do that so flawlessly, a saint. Some would even say that she loved her family a little too much, especially with Joe Jr. He was the only boy, her only biological child. You see, she worked her ass off, and literally her entire paycheck went to taking care of Joel, who was 28 at the time. Oh, my gosh. She gave him money. She paid his rent. They thought they were paying for his school. You know, all of the things. They thought they were paying Mm -hmm. for his school. So Joel was able to provide for himself. He had all of the means. In high school, he graduated from the Louisiana School for Math, Science, and the Arts in Natchitoches, Louisiana. He bounced around to a couple of colleges. But the year before this, this is 2016, The year before, he had actually withdrew from school, but his parents were still paying him to go to school. He was following the fruitless pursuit for him of being a plastic surgeon. He had been in school often. being in school? Mm, He had been in school off and on for eight years and had, like, no degree, nothing to show for it, which that's not saying it doesn't take a long time because, like. That's not plastic surgeon material, friend. Like. No. No. You don't get to bounce around schools like that. All of this was on his parents' dime. So he lived in Baton Rouge in his apartment, and his parents sent him money to pay for all these things. And by parents, I mean Lisa, because it was her entire paycheck that paid for all this stuff. But Joel Sr. was recently laid off. He was a pipeline engineering designer, and instead, he was, like, in his 60s. He's, like, instead of going and find a new job, I'm going to just retire. And he was like, Lisa, you should also retire as well. She worked as an HR accounts payable administrator, and they knew that they would be able to have a comfortable lifestyle once they retired if they did one thing. Cut him off. They had to cut off Joel Jr. The couple had made a budget for every single expense that they had, and their lifestyle would only be doable if they cut the cord with Joel Jr., They had listed their house in Knoxville, Tennessee. They were preparing to move to Surgeonsville, Tennessee. And the plan was to have one big dinner at Thanksgiving. So the sisters had come in. They lived in different places in Tennessee. They had came in and the parents were like, hey, we're going to cut your brother off. And I'm sure the sisters were like, it is about damn time. (laughs) Because that's what I would say. But they were play- They were like, don't say anything. We're going to tell him after Christmas. We want to get through the holidays. They would rather wait until after Christmas to tell Joe Jr. that the money was the money faucet was being turned off just so that there wasn't any drama. Because remember, they already had this weird dynamic with their son where he didn't really talk to any of them anyways. But it is believed, and we'll talk about it later on, that at some point prior to Thanksgiving, Joel Jr. realized what the plan was based on the events that we were about to talk about. Because once we talk about the actual crime, and we'll talk about it at the end too, when we're kind of like decompressing, there's no way that he didn't know ahead of time what was happening. So Thanksgiving comes, and it's a hit. 
It brought this renewed sense of joy to the Guy family. Even Joel Jr. seemed to have a good time. It was like he was a whole different person. He was talking more to his sisters and his nieces and nephews than he ever had. His bedroom was still kind of like a shrine to him. He still had all of his like old beady babies, things from school, stuff from growing up. Beady babies, weird. I mean, like, I know you had them as a kid, but like the fact that you're almost 30 and they're still in your childhood bedroom, I guess that's a little weird to me. Well, he started giving them away. He was giving them to like all the kids. He was laughing. He was joking. And his sisters even said that for the longest time that they didn't even think that he knew the names of their kids, let alone like this relationship he's forming today. So for him to like be as interactive, it wasn't something they were used to. It was welcome, but it just wasn't something they were used to. The parents were thinking like maybe with everyone moving and like his parents moving and retiring that they would be able to have something that resembled a normal relationship with their son. Thanksgiving ended. The family said their farewells. Joel was still there when his sisters left. He was supposed to be leaving the next day or two. He waved them off, like told the kids bye. The sisters are all talking as they're leaving like, holy shit, this was like a really good visit. A couple of them were married, so they're like telling their spouses. And they're like, did we just have a good visit with our brother? Like, is that what just happened? Because this kind of we seemed like nice it. nice family dinner. So weird. That never happens. They were actually excited for Christmas and the time that they were going to get to spend with him then. So this is Thursday, November 25th, 2016. That Monday, so four days later. Lisa's boss, Jennifer, was worried when Lisa didn't show up for work. We hear it all the time. They were a good employee. They're never late. This is unlike them. We don't know why they like wouldn't come in. Something has to be wrong. This The day that she missed was actually supposed to be her retirement lunch. So it was this big thing that she had been looking forward to for weeks. There was no way that she would miss it. Jennifer, being the awesome boss that she was, called the police and insisted on a welfare check. She was very adamant that there was no way that Lisa would just up and leave and miss work. Something had to be wrong. Maybe she was hurt or sick. Maybe there was a fire or something with the house, but something was definitely wrong and they needed to go check it out. When Knox County officers Jeremy McCord and Stephen Ballard pulled up to the guy's residence, they first noticed the for sale sign in the front yard. They thought that it was weird that there was a for sale sign in the front yard because there was no realtor lockbox on the front door. And typically, those two things go hand in hand. When the officers realized that both cars were still in the driveway, they got this eerie, almost ominous feeling that something horrible had happened. They go to the front door. They're trying to jiggle the lock. It's locked. When they peered inside, they saw that there was a bag of groceries Like there were bags of groceries sitting on the floor with things like eggs and beer and milk in the bags. Things that you would usually put away first so they could be refrigerated. You're not just going to leave them there. Another thing that was weird to the officers was the fact that the area around the doorknob was all scratched up and the doorknob didn't match the deadbolt. And if you think about it, someone who is selling a house, that's something that they would fix or pay attention to because that's one of the first things that someone notices when... They're doing a showing. So the officers realized pretty quickly that there was something sus going on, and they started to make their way to around the back to the back door. To their surprise, the doorknob had been removed, and it's likely that the doorknob that was on the front door was actually the doorknob from the back door because it matched that deadbolt. Through the little hole that was missing, like where the doorknob was, the officers could feel an extreme heat, like just piercing them from inside the house like it was hot inside hot yes okay there was also the strong smell of a chemical presence like it was just like there in their face they couldn't get rid of that smell mccord and ballard walked back around praying that there were keys in the car that they saw in the driveway hoping the cars were unlocked maybe there's a garage door opener something for them to get inside that house because something was wrong They had called detectives for backup because they knew that, like, this is not a typical welfare check that we're about to walk into. The detectives got there, and luckily one of the cars had a garage door opener in it, and the car was unlocked. 
So they were able to enter the open the garage and enter the home through the inside garage door. It was like a sauna in the house. The thermostat was set at 90 degrees. There were space heaters all around the house. Like oh my God. The actual temperature inside was like around 93 degrees. There was a table that had both the wallets of Lisa and Joel Sr. It had a sledgehammer and loaded guns sitting on top of it. That's ominous. Mm-hmm. That's a where, big nope. So where was the house at? It was in... Knoxville. It was in Knoxville, Tennessee? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was 90 degrees in December or November. November. Yeah. Oof. Gross. Okay. The detectives walked past the kitchen. In the kitchen, they saw a stock pot sitting on the stove boiling. The groceries, like they, that. the groceries they saw from the front door were sitting there. The odor in the home was so overpowering that the officers had a, quote, physical reaction to the smell. The detectives walked up the stairway and heard the sound of a dog barking like crazy. As they walked upstairs to the dog, they quickly radioed for backup, specifically for homicide, because they started to see blood spatter everywhere. It was like a scene from a movie, only they were going to realize that it was much, much worse. Looking down the hallway into the exercise room, the officers found a copious amount of blood and two severed hands. They found a pile of clothes that had been cut as if they were cut from someone's body. The scissors were laid right next to them. Sitting next to the clothes was also sewer line cleaner, baking soda, liquid fire drain cleaner, lye, hydrogen peroxide, bleach, acid, and a bleach sprayer. Every chemical you could possibly think of. Every chemical you could buy with like just like a normal over-the-counter. The officers made one more grisly discovery before the homicide team arrived to take over. In the bathroom, accompanying the blood-spattered walls were two blue plastic tubs that were filled with an acidic solution containing what would later be determined to be the dismembered corpses of Lisa and Joel Sr. The floor of the bathroom was covered with plastic sheeting. There was a garden hose connected to the shower, and a large knife was found in the sink. The plastic bins were later described as a diabolical stew of human remains. Oh my gosh, gross. Like uh, one terrifying of his... and horribly sad, but also like disgusting. Disgusting, yep. One of his sisters testified later that she saw those blue, because they're like the typical, you know, like blue bins. Like you have like Christmas decorations and things in them. Like a tote? Like a tote, yeah. Okay. Tote. I don't know why I'm I didn't think of the word more tote. like a... I was picturing like a a bin, like a blue like bucket. a hazmat chemical bin. Okay. No, it's like a tote, like a twenty gallon tote type thing. Okay. And his one of his sisters said that she had seen that tote in the back of his car at Thanksgiving, but she didn't think anything of it because he had driven up from Baton Rouge. Homicide detectives had to wear hazmat suits as they swept the house for clues and to like document the crime scene. The first clue came in the form of an Ace Hardware. Name, it was written on like a piece of paper and the name of the drain cleaner. Police thought that maybe they would be able to check like CCTV footage and find out like who bought this because like not that many people are buying that much acid, you know, on a a typical Tuesday. Now, knowing what we know just from the name of the episode, we know who is responsible. But even if we didn't, I would be able to say we love a dumb criminal because in his childhood bedroom in a bright red backpack was one of the dumbest things that I have ever read in a case regarding how a murderer was caught. In the backpack was a literal manifesto of step-by-step of how he planned to kill his parents and exactly what he needed to do in order to accomplish his plans. He had also written down all of the money he had hoped to receive from insurance policies as well as the assets that the family had. Going so far as to note their house in Knoxville as a possible total loss after the fire, because he was trying to start a fire, and how he so hot in there, mm -hmm, and he was trying to speed up decomposition. He thought that like he might not get the house in Surgeonsville if his aunt is still living there. He was under the arrogant notion that he would get everything if his parents died, not remembering that he has three half sisters who actually has relationships with. His parents. Like, I get the feeling that Joel Jr. wasn't the password kid. You know, he's not the, he's not going to be on, 
written into a life insurance. Po- I'm sure he probably was like set to get something in a will, but he wasn't going to be like the, what do you call the person that's like over the will? You know what I'm talking about? Like the trustee? Um, oh my gosh. Why can't I think of it? Attorney, not attorney. Uh, <laughs> power of attorney. Power of attorney. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, it's that <laughs> word somewhere. <laughs> There's something in there. I know this. I was like, I know the word. Like, what am I thinking? It was very clear by the crime scene and by this notebook that nothing went according to his plan. It does seem like what he had in his head and what actually transpired was he realized that murdering two people, it's actually more difficult than what you think it is. Mm -hmm. So one of his notes read, This is how he was planning to subdue his dad. Drop something down the garbage disposal to break it. And it had like an arrow. Get him on the ground fixing it. Arrow. Kill him with the knife. But his dad was killed in the upstairs exercise room, judging by all the blood spatter and like the blood poolage that they had. So I don't know if like he did break the garbage disposal. And then Joel Sr. was like, this isn't a big deal right now. Like, I don't really give a shit about the garbage disposal. Like, we'll fix it later. So at some point, like, he decided to attack his dad upstairs. There's other things that he didn't factor in. Like, nowhere in his brain did he think his dad would fight back. And judging by the fact that there was blood everywhere in that exercise room, there was a bow flex knocked over. There were curtains ripped, blinds ripped. His dad fought like hell. There were defensive... Or like that his mom would come to help his dad, too, you know? Like... You're going to attack someone. You don't expect them to fight back. You don't expect the other person in the house to come and be like, what's going on? I'm going to call. So, you know, there well, she was shopping. Okay. Okay. So there yeah, are like why... numerous things though, that this mm-hmm. nerd didn't think of. Nope. Um, and we'll talk about Joel Jr.'s defensive wounds here in a little bit, but he also had like significant, like his dad, like Did fought, like Good. fought. The second plan that went wrong was him actually thinking that he could clean up the mess. It said, quote, clean up mess from him before she gets home. But there was blood everywhere on the walls in the bathroom in the master bedroom. Like there was blood everywhere. So obviously that did not go according to his plan either. He implied in his notes that he only wanted to dispose of his father's body and just clean all of the forensic evidence off of his mother's body. He wanted to put, he severed, this is like what's psycho. He wanted to plant his dad's DNA under his mom's fingers. Like she'd scratched him or something? Yes, to make it look like his dad was the one that murdered his mom. Except his dad would have been completely disposed of. So how does that work? I'll tell you that in just a minute. Okay. But because both of the victims' bodies were found dissolving in those plastic tubs, and remember the stockpot on the stove, you know what I'm talking about? What I was talking the yeah, stockpot yeah. on the stove. Okay. Yeah, it was ominous. Oh, no, that mm-hmm. was before the ominous stuff on the table. Yeah, I remember. Inside the stockpot was his mom's severed head boiling in uh, a pot of chemicals. No. And I don't like I knew why. it, but also no. It's like, listen here, Catherine McKnight. <laughs> Catherine Knight. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. And I don't know why, but the idea that he acted with such brutality, specifically towards his mom, who was the one who cared for him. And I know how this goes. I know specifically how it goes when you have a son like this that's just kind of like mooching off of you. It's the dad is probably like, dude come on, Lisa, we have to cut this out. Like we have to think about ourselves. And she's like, but he's our baby boy. And like, still giving him money. Like that's normally how things like this work. And for him to do that to her specifically is there is no hell or punishment that is sufficient enough for this disgusting son of a bitch. It is believed that Joel Jr. left the house on Sunday to drive the 10 hours back to Baton Rouge to further establish his alibi. He was going to try to plant cell phone, a text message from his mom to his cell phone to make it look like she had still been alive while, you know, like while he went back to Baton Rouge. But he was, because that's like what he's like, I went back to Baton Rouge, but he had cuts all over his hand and like some of them were pretty gnarly. 
And he was captured on CCTV at the local Knoxville Walmart buying bandages for his severely cut hands. Because like I said, his dad fought like hell. He did end up making that 10-hour drive back to Baton Rouge, but his trip home was extremely short-lived. Because the Knoxville police station didn't waste any time. They worked and they called with the FBI to form a task force to like put like eyes on Joel Jr. And he was arrested the day after he got back to Baton Rouge as he was about to get in his car from his apartment in Baton Rouge. In the trunk of his car, officers found a KitchenAid mixer with a meat grinder attachment, which corresponded with the fourth part of his note that said, bring blender and food grinder grind meat oh that i got like gross the like, heaps chills yeah heebie jeebies no nope ew no also who bought this kid a kitchenaid mixer and the attachments because those i love my KitchenAid. You know, like that is sacred to me. He doesn't deserve You one. don't deserve the elite status that is a freaking <laughs> KitchenAid mixer, you little douche canoe. Like, ugh, you ugh. you're supposed to make sausage with it. Like, you're supposed to get the meat grinder attachment and throw it in your cabinet and never use it. That's what people do. Obviously. It goes right next to the pasta maker and the ice cream maker. You dummy. <laughs> I feel so intact with that statement. <laughs> I put my, um, I put a pasta maker attachment for my KitchenAid on my Christmas list and my husband just looked at me. He's like, really, really, Connie? You're going you to make homemade pasta. You never know. It might, like, you might with the attachment. Yeah, a bitch might. Like, buy me the attachment and we'll see. Let's find out. Let's find out if I get really into pasta making for two months. Like I did with bread. And <laughs> I have a baking, I have a baking window that I do. Like from Thanksgiving through like my birthday, it's baking season. The rest of the time I use my KitchenAid to shred chicken. Honestly, the best for shredding chicken though. Yeah, it's like worth it. It's worth it's it. So so easy and satisfying. You just pop those babies in there with the paddle. I remember buying my KitchenAid and going back and forth with you. Like, which one do I get? Should I get this one? Should I get the... That was COVID. That was the bread making part of COVID, guys. (laughs) You remember it. You all bought KitchenAids too, or you bought something similar. You bought bulk flour and yeast. I still have so much flour and yeast. (laughs) I'm just waiting for another lockdown. You opened everything up, and now I have no desire to bake bread. I digress. I'm sorry. No surprise, but Joel Guy Jr. pled not guilty to the charges of two counts of first-degree murder, three counts of first-degree felony murder, and two counts of abuse of a corpse. This guy is more delusional than I thought for him to just fully go not guilty. I wasn't even there. I drove back to Baton Rouge. Yeah, you left your fucking backpack, dude. You left your manifesto. It's like Door the Explorer, like, backpack, backpack. <laughs> when like, he got out of the car, do you think, like, when he opened the door, he was like, oh, where's my backpack? <gasps> no, because oh, I'm no. going to tell you, like, what his plan was in just a second. But I thought about that at first, and I was first researching the case before I got to, like, the trial information. I was like, I bet he got, like, eight hours into his drive and was like, fuck. <laughs> my backpack, no, dude. No, my backpack. I needed to become a plastic surgeon. And it has all my notes in it. <laughs> all my plastic surgery notes. Ah, like you're disgusting. Um, we're gonna talk about his trial in just a second after a word from our sponsor. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Life doesn't come with a user manual. I know a lot of times it seems like we are on a treasure hunt with no map, so you are left walking in circles. BetterHelp Online Therapy is the next best thing to a roadmap to life. I always felt like I was just waking up and just existing. My relationships were struggling. My parenting was struggling. The struggle bus was my main form of transportation until I found BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone deserves to feel their best. 
You have the tools. You are the tool. But sometimes you just need a nudge in the right direction or for someone to help decipher what is going on in that big brain of yours. As the world's largest therapy service, they've matched millions of people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. There are no waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. I have three kids in a busy life, so being able to schedule therapy around my schedule has been a lifesaver. Heck, Megan has therapy on Sunday mornings. There really is a therapist for you, almost like they were made just for you. And if you find someone who isn't a good fit, it's no big deal to switch. Life is hard, but BetterHelp Online Therapy can help with that. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash gruesome. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gruesome. Joel Jr.'s trial didn't start until late September of 2020. What? Mm-hmm. 2016 to 2020? Mm-hmm. That's too long. It's too long. Attorney Leslie Nasio spoke at the trial, and they released all of the graphic details of the results of the autopsies and the events that happened that horrific night. State prosecutors said that due to its graphic nature, this was a crime scene unlike many others in the United States. They warned the victim's families and attendees to leave the courtroom if they felt like they were overwhelmed emotionally. They also played a video walkthrough, which his entire trial is online, including this like body cam footage of like all of the stuff is blurred out, obviously. But you can look it up. I'm actually going to post part of it to our Patreon as soon as this episode posts. Joel Guy Sr. suffered 42 sharp force injuries so brutal that 12 marks were left on his ribs that range from scratches to severing. Severe damage was caused to Guy Sr.'s lungs, kidneys, and liver. He also had an injury on his shoulder so severe that a fragment of the weapon was deposited into the muscle tissue. Then Joel Sr.'s hands were severed at the wrist, his arms severed at the shoulder, and legs removed at the hip. According to the court records, his foot was also severed at the ankle. Nasio said that Joel Sr. had fiercely fought for his life. After the murder, his clothing was also cut off his body and left in just that bloody pile on the floor. Lisa was stabbed 31 times, causing 21 severe injuries, stab wounds to the buttocks, and it also severed nine of her ribs. To stab someone with such force that you sever their ribs... Her clothing was cut off her body and also left on the floor. Her arms were severed at the shoulder and her legs cut below the knees. Their bodies were placed in two 45-gallon containers with a mixture of drain cleaner, bleach, hydrogen peroxide, sewer line cleaner, and other chemicals to quickly to try to quickly dissolve their bodies in this homemade acid solution. And also, it goes without saying that we had just talked about it, but Lisa's head was also removed. But back to this note that he wrote, because they kept going back to this note during the trial, rightfully so, because it was like the, hey, guy, you did it. The wrote a list of exactly what you wanted to do. On this note, it said, kill dog. And that was crossed out and replaced with, take the dog with you. The note goes into detail about how he would begin the forensic manipulation process and dismemberment. That's where like he was doing the acid solution. He was going to make things really hot in the house, to, like speed up decomp. He said, place her in the shower, turn on hot water and point it at her to get rid of forensics, remove her clothes and take them with me for disposal. Another thing that didn't go his way because that's not what he did. He said, cut off his arm and plant his flesh under her fingernails, place her hand with his DNA so that his DNA is not, washed off by the shower this guy's a moron like a moron truly because the motive of the whole thing like i said was to make it look like his dad was responsible for his mom's murder so he wanted to completely decimate his dad's body so it would appear that he was missing his plan was to when he got because he was planning on coming back to the house which is why the backpack was still there he was going to use that sledgehammer to decimate his dad's bones like grind them into nothing, flush them down the toilet, get so it looked like his dad just failed. Mm -hmm. 
Because then in his mind, no one else would get the money in the entire family. Not the three sisters who had children and were married and were doing things on their own. It would be Joel Guy Jr. to get the money. He truly didn't think that they had any lives other than like to take care of him. Because he didn't think about their jobs, their friends that they probably had, his sisters that talked to them regularly. Mm -hmm. He just thought he could leave and they don't talk to anyone else. So what, like, just because he didn't talk to anyone, he assumed they didn't talk to anyone either. Exactly. And like I told you earlier, the plan was for his parents to talk to them, to talk to him about cutting him off after Christmas. But it seems like he started to get the vibes ahead of time because he actually started buying the supplies to kill his parents on November 7th, which is like almost three weeks before they were actually murdered. I wonder if he, when he realized that his dad was retiring and his mom was retiring, he was like, that's going to be it. Yeah, like you would, he would be stupid not, like if he knew that the money that he was getting was coming from his mom specifically, like her paycheck. And it's like, now she's not getting a paycheck right now. It's like, come on, man. You have to know. You have to know you're 28 years old. You shouldn't be supported by your parents anyways, unless you're having, like, sinuating circumstances. Being a And bum even if is that me- is, like, them paying for an apartment is not extenuating circumstances, you know? Uh-uh. That's if you have to move home because you fall on hard times, if you uh-huh. are in like grad school or something and they're helping you through grad school, like I understand that. I don't, mm, I don't like what a, what a jerk. He drove back to Baton Rouge to be treated at the student clinic. And his plan was to return to Knoxville to finish his master plan, like the master plan in his manifesto. One of the pages listed his parents' assets in detail and his notes providing some insights of how he would achieve gaining his parents' property to include like the life insurance, the Knoxville house, you know, all of the things. Because they had a car, a boat, an SUV, an old truck, like all of these things. And he just assumed that they were going to be his. Like he thought because he was his mom's only biological child that she would have just like written his sisters out. Like if you paid half of attention to how their relationship is, you would know that that's never going to be the case. Like they're always like, you guys are a family. It's not like, it's like, Oh, that's my half sister. Maybe to you, but not to Lisa. His, the defense did not call any witnesses. They didn't produce any evidence. The only thing that they submitted was the request because Joel Jr. Wanted to be executed. When he was found guilty, he wanted to be put to death. And Judge Stephen Sword was like, nah, son, you think you get everything you want. So on October 2nd, 2020, he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, plus four years for the corpse charges, in a ruling that Judge Stephen Sword called the most extreme form of abuse of a corpse he has seen in his 25-year career. The judge told Joel Jr. that he thinks he's smarter than he really is, saying that the crime was committed in a, quote, very unintelligent way. Roast him. Roasted. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had tried to, like, not stand trial. Like, he said that he was having, like, thoughts of gouging his roommate's eyes out. Like, all of these things. But I was really, say, did he do a psyche valve? Do we know what mm-hmm. the... I think that's part of the reason why everything took so long. With psyche valves. Yeah, and then you have to think, September 2020, that's height of COVID. Yeah. So I'm, you know, everything was getting postponed and then it's like a a domino, trail of dominoes. Yeah, I I mean, I doubt his family could have even been there. uh, There was the courtroom they had on like the clear face shields and they were in and out like it wasn't like a full courtroom like what we would normally think about when we see like cases like this but he really thought he was gonna he was like hey look i did this just go ahead and execute me like i'm good thank you (laughs) i'm good on life tap me out nope you don't get he even tried to to, but while he was before he was convicted he even tried to get the life insurance money literally tried to get it and they were like Bro, he's like, well, actually, I've never been convicted of this. This is still an ongoing investigation. I should be getting the life insurance money. And they were like, honey, no. Like, I no. Can't, 
Like my face. Again, I wish you could hear my face. What? Yeah, he still tried to get it. He petitioned the courts for it. And they were like, bitch, sit down. Absolutely. Um, In the words of my daughter, no, please. No, please. No, please. No, please. No, please to this gentleman. Uh, I hate everything about this. This is mm-hmm. the worst. And where is he in prison in Tennessee? Mm-hmm. And he is eligible for parole in 131 years. No, he's not. He's not eligible for parole ever in his entire life. No, because he was 28. It's like 160 something. Like, see you never. And I hope it's the worst day of his life every day. I hope they give him the smallest portions of food and someone just walks behind him and smacks him in the back of the head every day that he's there. And someone shakes him all the way down the hallway. And they just yell things at him like, bitch. Pussy. Yeah, like yeah. all the time. I just hope that, or because he likes to recluse, I hope someone just sits there and talks to him. <laughs> Every thought that comes into their head, that would be my nightmare. Quite I frankly. hope it's a 12-year-old <laughs> who's talking to them about, or talking to him about Beyblades and Pokemon exclusively. No, ugh. I, you know, when you said he wanted to be, a, that is that vibe like oh no i'm gonna be a doctor i'm like dude you can't even get through like your first undergrad yeah like why you're not gonna be a doctor like the doctors i know are way better students than i ever was because i was not a great (laughs) i mean i did okay i did fine but i mean i at least finished school I know that's like, and I know school's hard, especially once you get older. I think it's easier to go to school fresh out of high school and like finish it than it is to go back. Like all of the working adults, hello, Meg, you, like who are having families and like in, like actively in school. It is, I don't understand, like, I don't think I, I mean, I couldn't do it. Uh, Honestly, I couldn't have done it because I tried right out of high school. I started at 19 and I just like, was too much ego. Like I had not been humbled enough in my life yeah. to like, like put my nose down and like grind out through a degree. And when I started school, when I was 30, my only like prerequisite for myself was you have to finish. If you start, you have to go all the way through. So now it's just, you know, me looking in the mirror every morning going, you have to finish. You said you would. I live by the mantra C's get degrees in college and it worked well for me. Yeah. Well, as we have talked about a C (laughs) in my program, you have the craziest program. Like your C's are F's, your A's are C's. Yep. It's true. It's wild. I got, I got an 86 on a test the other day. That was a C. (laughs) And I was just like, (laughs) Uh, I used to be like, hell yeah, see. <laughs> I was thinking about what you said about password kids earlier. <laughs> like mm-hmm. him not being the password kid. And I know who my parents, well, who my mother's password kid is. And that made me laugh because I was like, I'm also, I'm not the password kid. But I know who is. And it checks out. There's there's a truth. Yeah, I'm, not, the favorite. <laughs> I'm not the password kid. No, I feel like I could guess which one of the kids is the password kid, though. It's my sister. Yeah. <laughs> and not even my Louisiana sister. It's my other sister. Is it? Yeah. She's what? the password kid because she is the most organized. I don't even remember my own passwords. They'd be like, Connie, listen. <laughs> we can't give you these documents of our life insurance because where's your birth certificate? Where are your kids' birth certificates? And I would be like, look, <laughs> please do Fair enough. Yes, that's you I'm have those also where where you wake up though and you're just like, where is my birth certificate? Mine's my social, my social security card. Social security card. <laughs> where am are I those just, things? Am I gonna need that for a while? Nah. I swear to you, I needed my birth certificate, searched four weeks trying to find find it on a one-off 
I opened this thing while I was cleaning one day and it was just sitting there. And I was like, <gasps> it was the day before I needed it. It was like How? the the clouds opened up with like it's the like, rays ah, of sun. <laughs> just messing with you, Meg. There it is. <laughs> All, every ounce of good karma I ever had came back to me in that moment and found my birth certificate for me. And I am really good at finding things, but I'm also like super good at losing things too. It's that it's that mindset where like you know where it is, you've seen it, but if anyone moves it, like I specifically know if I need tape. There is a little thing of scotch tape behind my headboard on the left-hand side. I know it's just chilling there. I don't know how it got there. Maybe it fell off my nightstand. Maybe the kids left it there one day. But if I need tape, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have that one right there just in case. But if someone goes through and cleans that and puts it away, I will never see it again. I constantly have the feeling of I know where it is, but I can't remember because ADHD brains are out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> That's and gone. it's like, I'll just get I know one. I've seen it. I know <laughs> I've seen it. I just had the same thing today with my credit card for these Taylor Swift tickets. Like I was like, like you and your credit cards are another story. That <laughs> Look, I'm literally sitting here right now at my desk. I'm going to flip them around so no one can see them. But this is how I'm rocking. Just like raw dog in these cars. <laughs> and that stresses me out so much. Like when we go somewhere for like lunch or if we go oh, shopping and, and you just out, like, like throw them and like throw them back in your bag I'm like what are you doing <laughs> well especially now that I carry like that lululemon bag because I just there's a, like a pouch I just stick those Chuck babies in, in there. there but like what happened to me today sometimes one sneaks out and I <laughs> it just like grew legs popped in my back pocket I realized it was in my back pocket at some point and I put it on my tiered stand in my kitchen why <laughs> I don't know but I nope. went I was looking everywhere granted I had like a bajillion years to wait for these Taylor Swift tickets today but I did not find because I was like this one has a super low interest rate and a really high limit this will be perfect because everyone had to pay me back for the tickets I was like this is great then I won't have to like worry about it if they can't do it right away I could not find the card and I didn't find it until after I'd already bought the fucking tickets. <laughs> but you got Taylor Swift tickets for you and all your people. Yeah. Meg got me a pair of more tickets and I'm honestly more excited about that because the process was easier because I didn't even know I was going until she already bought the tickets. <laughs> until I bought tickets and I was like, hey, I was fishing. I was fishing for it. I was like, who are you taking? <laughs> like... Please save me. And I was like, maybe she's going with her because this is the first time hearing about it. Because spoiler alert, we don't tell each other everything, guys. But I was like, maybe <laughs> she's going with her school friends. Like she does that. I'm not I'm not a school friend. I'm a podcast no. friend. I'm a best friend. The best friend. Anybody who's listening. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I was like, who are you taking? And then you were like, you if you want. And I like I I got GERD from it. I was so excited. I was like, <laughs> I had to pop a couple of tums after that announcement. I had to break out that Prilosec because I was like, ah. so I almost bought just one ticket to that. I was I'm like, glad I you did it. Yeah, and I'm gonna go by myself. I don't even care. And I was like, well, somebody might want to go with me, so I bought two. And then you asked, I was like, maybe she wants to go. <laughs> Hell yeah, I want to go. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But how long did it take you to get Taylor Swift tickets today? You should tell six, the world. Six and a half hours. Of queuing? Of queuing. Actually, it took longer. If we're going full on, it took, I logged on to my, and this is how, look, this is, this is why you always keep in touch with friends and don't let people fade out. Because I got waitlisted. I got waitlisted. My sister got waitlisted. My neighbor got waitlisted. We all got waitlisted. I have a friend who, when I lived in South Carolina, was like my rock. It was like when I was going through all like my shitty stuff with my ex, like she was the person that was there for me. She happened to move to Columbus and posted on Facebook last night. I hadn't even gotten waitlisted yet, but she posted on Facebook, like, who wants to go to Taylor Swift? Because she had gotten verified. And I was like, son of a bitch. Like, I want to go. So I texted her. I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot. It's like a first date. What was the worst she could say? No. <laughs> so I volunteered. I was like, dude, hey, if I get waitlisted, I will buy your Taylor Swift ticket if you let me buy some tickets. And she was like, yeah, okay. And that was it. <laughs> 
So she was a trooper. So I logged in with all of her stuff at 6 a.m. Because I work, I start working at 6 in the morning. And by that, I mean, like, I sit down on my computer for a few minutes. And then I go do the rest of the stuff I need to do. But today, I didn't. I even had my husband take my kids to school. I sat there. And then at 10 till 10, the entire Ticketmaster site crashed. And all of my hard work went to shit because I had to log in again. And I wanted to vomit. Because from – I didn't get tickets until almost 4 o'clock. That's crazy. Ticketmaster so, really underestimated the the power of the Swifties. Ooh, but I can talk about this because my mother-in-law doesn't listen to my podcast. I The most exciting thing about today, though, was like a month ago, my mother-in-law told me that she, like I knew she, my she's obsessed with Stevie Nicks. And honestly, like she has a gypsy soul very much anyways. And she was like, the only person I want to see is Stevie Nicks. And I'm getting worried I'm not going to be able to see her. She's like not going to be doing a lot of tours anymore, which she probably won't. And I looked that day and they only had Nashville. And I was like, I love you, but I'm not going to Nashville. <laughs> um, but then they released a Columbus show and I got her tickets first, which was a breeze. Like it was the no, easiest I, thing. Those don't open until the 18th, but I'm also going to get tickets to that show because I want to see Bill. I've seen Stevie Nicks a couple times. Oh, I can give you the pre-sale code. It's shoe. You can buy it's tickets shoe? today. Yeah. it's the, Are you talking about the Columbus one? It's shoe. Yeah. I want to see Billy Joel more than anything. Dude, I love same. Billy Joel. He's just Dude, like same. a delight. But and go to the Ticketmaster thing and in the venue code, put shoe. Those sons of bitches. What a yeah. lame code. I thought you, you had to know. get like a personalized like... Uh-uh. You have to get one from see, I get I've bought Ohio State tickets before. So their Schottenstein Center. I uh-huh. get their pre-sale codes for every concert that comes. It's like, oh hey, use this code. What the heck? That's magical. I'm gonna look right now. Get your tickets. But she <laughs> has no idea. I'm taking her and my sister-in-law is gonna go to, and we're giving it to her for Christmas. Such a good such a good show and good gift. Good job. I give experiences, guys. Don't give junk. I am self-proclaimed the best gift giver because I'm so <laughs> I think about it so hard before I buy gifts. It's a, it's a, it's a treat. Just really of mine. put into the thought, like what what would this person really <laughs> like, like and enjoy? And because I have because I listen and memorize everything anyone ever says to me. I remember all the things that they like. <laughs> exactly. You like keep that in the back of your head. Like, got it. Noted. I saw this like neurodivergent thing that was like, hey, it's nice to meet you. I really like your personality. And the girl was like, thanks. It's yours. And I was like, that's me. <laughs> like I saw one that was similar. It was like, oh, you say that cute. Now I say that cute too. Cause I like the way you said it. I'm like I absolutely do that. I start and I can think of this one specific time and I was with you when it happened I don't know if you were in the room with me but there was this girl from down south at this party we were at and she was talking to me and I started and I copied her accent and I was like she was just full on I was from the South too, all of a sudden. And I'm like, do you remember when we went to Michigan with those random band boys and the way they talk, they were like, the kid's name was Jeremiah. And he was like, Jeremiah fucking Maya. And he had this, like, he was like, I love, I don't know how he did his talk. We talked like that for like a month. And I was like, what? And then I had like dated this guy who did this weird hand thing all the time like this. And then I started doing it. Like when I talked, you started doing the weird hand thing just like you become the people around you Uh we know uh my husband and i do this weird song thing i don't even know why we do it but we just go all the time like all the time and today our kid did it for the first time just randomly and i was like ah yes we've broken you (laughs) there it is and yeah just if I feel like everyone does it. Everyone takes things. It's like mm-hmm. no art is original, right? Because you take everything. And then you get like your inside jokes, like, you know, things like my my husband and I do like one of the first movies we watched together was Super Troopers. And, you know, the very first scene where they get pulled over and he's like, did you say, yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, I said, yeah, sure, sir. 
So now anytime, because my husband was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, did you say, yeah, sir? <laughs> or did you say, yeah, sure? And he goes, no, what I said was, and like, we say it, we've said it so long to so many people, like to each other for so long that we'll, we just say it in front you of other people. You say it around other people thinking and they they'll look, get it. You, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, they don't get it. Nope. You're like, they, oh, wait, that's just us. Someone was said something about pulling over, and I was like, "He can't pull over any further. He's already pulled over." And then I'm like, <laughs> "Wrong crowd. <laughs> not not for you guys, then." Hey, got it. My brothers Freaking and I out, always man. Uh, big gulps, huh? Well, see you later from Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. All the time. <laughs> My ass is. It's okay. I'm a limo driver. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and again when we talk we do it too we start saying similar things it's fine it's okay Mm -hmm. it's who we are as people we're broken we're broken little people with broken little brains i just need to be you (laughs) just for a second please like me please like me (laughs) i just want you to love me as much as i love you it would be interesting to do a meet and greet with like listeners because I'm going to morph into every single one of them. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to be as excited as you are or as weird as you are. And that's your choice. Like you decide how that's going to go the same way. If we end up meeting any listeners from overseas, like I'm stealing that accent, babe. Sorry. It's coming. Uh, The, when I went to, to England, the really the only night that I really like, drank a lot that was what i did all night i walked around to other british people and asked them to rate my british accent and i copied what they would say to me and that embarrasses me to my core <laughs> that that's what how i spent my european vacation how many how many messages do we get a week that say stupid americans at least one at least one a week at I least one a week and that's probably why they think that <laughs> I used to get drunk and do a British accent just to pretend. <laughs> Sometimes you just do it when you're sober. Like, I wonder if people overseas know that, like, tons of Americans do that. They just are like, you know what? I have a British accent for this period of time today. I wonder That's if all. they do, like, oh, my God, shut up. I bet like, they do. I don't know. You guys can I, confirm or deny that for us. But I'm I hope say, you guys yeah. do. I hope you guys do. Otherwise, I'm going to feel real bad. And I'm not mocking. It's like, I'm really trying. I have a horrible British accent. So bad, I'm not even going to do it for you guys. But I would just think it was the shit about three Irish car bombs in. (laughs) Yeah, I can't do it in, uh, can't do it off the cuff. Like, if somebody's like, do it. But sometimes, if you're just, like, not thinking about it, you can do it. Oh, I in louisiana and i developed this insane deep like cajun accent and i was like <laughs> i listened to videos from that time of my life and i'm like who that, am i who was that's that how i person? my husband like we started dating when i lived in louisiana and he thought i had this like hot ass southern accent it was fake it was <laughs> just my not, brain that's just because i was around all those people nerd and now i'm back in the midwest like i say things like merp and ope oh Oh, my bad. Did you get your Stevie Nicks tickets? I'm looking right now. I did get in. I'm looking at where I can go here. There's still uh There's still a bunch of them left. I thought they were going to sell out, and I was like, you want to be close to me? Let me tell you where it's I am. Kind of, that's what I kind of was going to yeah inquire about. Like, where are you at? Um, I am in section 12A. Okay. I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll just pretend. I'll just like, what are you? Actually, you could totally, you you could totally come and drive over here and ride with us. Like, I don't care. Everybody in the minivan, we're going to Stevie Nicks. That's actually perfect. I'm going to make a Billy Joel t-shirt to wear. I'm sending you a screenshot right now of where I'm at, and you can just get the closest to it. But on that note, guys, um, <laughs> next week is Thanksgiving. You know, just breathe in, breathe out. You don't have to kill your family. You can just leave. 
Yeah, you don't have to even go to Thanksgiving. If you don't want to be around those people, you shouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Set your boundaries. Keep them, keep them up if you got to. If you got them, keep them up. Yeah. Yeah. If you got it, keep it. If you don't, get it. Get those boundaries, <laughs> baby. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.